How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be kind of brief because I don't want to take time away from Mitch Daniels, former OMB director under President Bush, now president of Purdue University and the 49th governor of Indiana. You talk about fiscal responsibility, understanding the economy. I got to take get his take on all this spending that's taking place right now. As we have jobless claims dropped to 684,000, it's a pandemic low which is good news. Listen, we want to get this number down, got to get people back to work. We are going to boom as soon as we get this pandemic under control. We're turning the corner, although cases are ticking up in some areas with these new variants, but we're doing a great job with the vaccine, maybe as good as anybody in the world. And Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee will be with us at 34 after. And then we'll finish up the hour with your calls, 1-866-408-7669. By the way, at noon today, all the big tech CEOs will be virtual, uh, but they'll be talking to a House committee uh, on uh, a House committee today. I'm talking about uh, Google. I'm talking about Facebook. I'm talking about Twitter. Uh, and I'm talking about Amazon. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a federal takeover of the way we conduct every election in America. This bill obviously is designed to make it easier to cheat, uh, to subsidize campaigns by the federal government, and to have one party take over the enforcement of American elections. And that's really what's at stake. Battle for the ballots. The Dems are pushing H.R. 1, which is passed in the House. White House would revolutionize how we vote. It's unconstitutional and should set off alarms in every Republican household, which is why lawmakers on both sides are digging in and drawing blood. Number two. How do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Can you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? Mr. Biden, <laughs> Mr. Biden, what flavor did you get? You got one now, one <laughs> The wait is over. President Biden will hold his first presser today, the longest wait in modern American history. Outside of Fox, will the media drop the kid gloves and go for the knockout, knowing the president has no chin? What questions do you want to hear? Number one. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts in stemming the movement of uh, so many folks uh, stemming the migration to our southern border. Joe was really flowing with the verb, uh, with the verbs and the adjectives yesterday. Uh, yes, the VP got a job. Uh, straight, uh, uh, straightening out the catastrophe at our southern border. The problem for her and for us now should be uh, she might be the worst selection the president could have made, judging by her past words and her past giggles. 
And I'm not kidding. So the vice president, who even though she was attorney general and senator from a border state, California, has really no track record of being strong on the border, has no philosophy that she was honing in order to become president when she was named as vice president when she fell so miserably before the first primary. Listen, I'm not saying she's not bright and affable. And it's great to have a female vice president. But please tell me how she qualifies to lead up this effort on the border. Remember when she was asked about this in Jacksonville, where WOKV is, on the tarmac. Cut three. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> but um, I have before and I'm sure I will again. We were left with a very challenging situation. We've got to treat this issue in a way that is reflective of our values as Americans and do it in a way that is fair and it is humane. Right. Fantastic. I think she's ready. Just keep giggling. We have, um, I would think that you were not left with a problem. And most people know that it wasn't a problem because Title 42, which was actually written in 1944, allowed you during a health crisis to be able to quickly, if a child came in or a family came in, they'd be jettisoned back to the country and they came in because we're in a, came from, because we're in a pandemic. It's not a matter of being selfish or hard-hearted. We're in a pandemic. You get yelled at if you walk around without a mask in this country, right? You could get fined uh, in some states without a mask. Am I correct? Ted Cruz got yelled at yesterday, even though he's been vaccinated, for taking questions from the press without a mask. But we're supposed to let thousands of people in without being tested, many of which have tested positive. Do you have a problem, Ms. Vice President? Yes. Unaccompanied minors, 16,513. 1,400 migrant kids will be housed in San Diego alone, a state you used to uh, run. Uh, They never asked the people of San Diego. The federal government just decided over the past year, 2,800 confirmed COVID-19 cases among the unaccompanied minors at the U.S. border. Can you imagine how many we didn't get? About 319 unaccompanied children remain in medical isolation after testing positive. Mr. President, you had an out. You had money to finish off the wall, 550 miles or 650 miles. And then you have a health crisis that allows you to be legitimately sealing off the border without using your humane pledge. Kamala Harris, in the past, has me really discouraged about her ability and willingness to crack down on the border. Listen to some of her exchanges, for example, on July 29, 2019, as she's auditioning for the country. Cut for. I would not make it a crime punishable by jail. It should be a civil enforcement issue, but not a criminal enforcement issue. Are you aware of the perception of um, many about how the, the, the power and the discretion at ICE is being used to enforce the laws? And do you see any parallels? Are you aware that there's a perception? I see no. Are you aware that there's a perception? That puts ICE in the same category as the KKK. Right. Uh, And that was her, Kamala Harris, when asked about border crossings would not be punishable by jail. And on November 15th, 2018, with the the ICE director at the time, uh, Vidiello, he was asked about perception about ICE. And he was upset that in the past Kamala Harris had said they're similar to the KKK because they crack down on people here illegally, focusing on those who have broken the law. So she's now in charge. Then I'm reading in Politico today that her staffer said, I want to make it clear. We're not in charge of the whole border. We're in charge of just relations with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. 
Someone just held Joe Biden. And by the way, wasn't Joe, wasn't uh, President Trump ridiculed for telling Mike Pence, I need you to head up the COVID-19 operation, have the focus? They said, why doesn't the president want to do it? Why aren't they saying that now to the vice president? Lindsey Graham was on with me last night at 7. I'll be on tonight at 7. And I asked him about what's going on at the border. He's going to be going down with the delegation again on Friday. Cut 13. President Biden is in denial. I was there almost, what, seven or eight weeks ago now? What did I tell you when I came back? This thing is going to blow up in our face. The policy changes are going to lead to a run on the border like you've never seen. And that's what we're witnessing. I mean, I was shocked. Do you know most of these? I got some uh, staggering stats for you. Most of these border crosses are from Mexico. Why? They can't get the vaccine. They're overrun with the coronavirus. Doesn't that make you feel good? And uh, they don't have jobs. The perception is that we're going to turn around quicker. 82% are men. Even though we got a staggering number of unaccompanied minors, a lot of Mexican men are here to work. But they're not doing it the right way through a work visa. They're doing it on their own. Ted Cruz, cut 12. The Biden administration has instituted an unprecedented media blackout. They won't allow reporters in. They won't allow cameras in. They won't allow pictures. And, and the reason is obvious. Democrats spent four years attacking Donald Trump for kids in cages. Well, Obama built the cages, and under Joe Biden, the cages are bigger, and they're much more full, and they don't want anyone well, to see it. And it, and it is you know, unacceptable. It is 100% true, and I'm going to add to that. They are now providing footage from certain facilities. They let NBC into one facility. But what about the Donna facility over in Texas? What about all throughout Arizona? We can't see that. If it wasn't for Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, providing footage, uh, stills, I should say, we would not even know what's going on there. And real quick, Jonathan Swan, cut 23. What's happening because so many kids are coming, unaccompanied minors, and, and they're, they're slow, uh, you know, they don't have the facilities and they're slow to process. You know, I, I obtained some internal documents from DHS over the weekend, last weekend. These kids, by law, are supposed to be in these Border Patrol facilities for no longer than 72 hours. I got, I got leaked the internal documents that show hundreds of these kids, almost a thousand of them, had been in these Border Patrol holding cells for 10 days or more. Okay. I'm going to go and bring in Mitch Daniels after that, Senator Bill Haggerty, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it at this. They won't show us what's happening. The border's being overrun. They're letting minors in without parents. They can stay. If they have a note in their pocket, they get to go. They get to go with the address and the note in their pocket. That is a go sign from Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, who knows where else, Brazil and Mexico. How hard is this? It's not. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a big show, a lot going on. Mitch Daniels next. And, of course, we end with you, Brian Kilmeade. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI.
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Not a single Republican voted for this bill in the House. In fact, one Democrat voted against it. I talked to some of my friends in the Senate today. They view this as more than just a bad piece of legislation. They really do. I mean, in private conversations, they view this as an assault on states' rights and the Constitution. Trey Gowdy, not somebody to be full of rhetoric, rhetoric and bluster. He's concerned about H.R. 1. What about states' rights? The former governor of Indiana joins us, now president of Purdue University and former OMB director Mitch Daniels. Governor, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Hey, uh, Governor, do you look, from what you know, I know you're focused on the, the university setting. From what you know, does H.R. 1 scare you as a former governor when it comes to states' rights? I, I find it alarming on a couple of grounds, including that one, absolutely. Um, Brian, um, I'm, I'm certainly worried on behalf of the young people on this campus and across America who already were being done a grave injustice by the bills that we, their elders, have run up that they will have to pay. And now within the last a few months, uh, just breathtaking amounts, all the wraps are off, no zeros are too many apparently. And um, you know, the, the the piper will be paid one day, um, uh, not by the politicians who are voting for this, but by people who will follow them, younger people. And so that's very worrisome. And on the from the state's end, yes, of course, um, the uh, the uh, longtime argument about uh, uh, the federal government trying to take over more and more decision making in the country takes a long step forward with this bill. So you have expanding mail-in voting, restores voting rights to convicted felons, encourages statehood for Washington, D.C., allows voters to substitute voter ID with a sworn written statement, implements mandatory automatic voter registration nationwide. And I, I don't know what Indiana exactly does, but I know it's different than Oregon. I know it's different than New York. I know it's different from Texas. And that's part of the America. That's part. That's part, what's constitution in this country. How can you just change that? Washington, D.C. was set up to not be partisan. How do you just change that? Well, the how question is easy to answer. Brute force and ruthlessness, frankly. Uh, it's really astonishing what is – whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's astonishing the dimension of what's being done from a 50-50 uh, split, uh, essentially, in both houses. Um, that's unprecedented, but 
Um, that's the how. You know, I guess two things that make me especially sad about this, Brian. Uh, one, not to be stuck on the dollars and cents, but uh, in addition to everything else that I think is excessive about this bill, something like three-fourths or more of it doesn't have anything to do with viruses and pandemics. Yep. And um, – you know they they have managed finally uh, to uh, do what I didn't think would be possible under our system, and that is um, cross subsidize uh, uh, states that have not been responsible about their money, about their pension funds, uh, from states that have. Um, that's one that'll be one effect of this bill: massive additional spending and taxing, much of it going to subsidize states that really uh, were not. Uh, uh, good stewards of public money in the past. And the second thing, back to your point, is that if we're going to get out of this poisonous era of polarization, one way is to allow for local differences, local preferences, and the differences that still are there um, among in culture and values and so forth, and trying to impose all those values from any one central a place I think is very unfortunate. It will only lead to more polarization. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I'd be equally against it if it were being done with with a different set of values uh, in mind. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just, for example, New York has made some terrible deals with unions, and they're up a huge deficit. They're getting it all paid off now, and they still want to up taxes. It's incredible. Haven't they lost enough citizens? California, the same thing. They got their entire debt paid off on money on a country's credit card. And guess what, Mitch Daniels? Uh, we are now going to be looking at a 3 to $5 trillion infrastructure bill, which among its many things it's going to do is revamp our energy sector. I mean, you used to do the balance sheet for the country. What? Where do we get this money from? Well, we print it, and and uh, you can push the the bump under the rug out only so far. It's all being done for the moment by by um, um, managing interest rates lower. And um, I saw where the. The head of the Fed said he didn't think or, or he thought they could keep inflation under control. He better hope he's right, because once once inflation gets running in an economy, it runs quickly and it's very hard to stop. So let's all hope that doesn't happen. You know, I happen to be a fan of infrastructure. Uh, our state is rated number one each year recently for its infrastructure because of building we did. But you can do it on a financially um, solvent basis. Um, uh, not with the all borrowed money, and unfortunately, we may be headed for that. I saw an architecture society rated our infrastructure at D plus. So there's no doubt about it. We definitely could get together with both sides on something like that, and how it's financed would be interesting too. And I'm not too sure that uh, at this point, we're coming out of a pandemic. This is the right time to raise taxes, but they're talking about the biggest tax increase in 30 years. It would be it would miss a real bet. I, I want to say again, I, I've always thought that first of all, this is important. We do have a lot of catching up to do in this country, and it was a huge point of emphasis for us in Indiana in my last job. Um, I don't believe that they're likely to do this, but there's some real opportunities for cooperation here. There's an ocean of private money eager to come in and help you know, on infrastructure uh, projects through so-called P3 public-private partnerships. If the people in power now could only open their minds to that, they could access a lot of money.
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. They wouldn't have to tax anybody to to acquire. Likewise, if if um, it's really that important, we ought to at least waive temporarily so many of the incredibly burdensome, time-consuming, cost-adding regulations that have accreted around this that make federal government infrastructure projects the laughingstocks they often are. They take 10 times longer than they were supposed to and cost much more. So if they would take that kind of approach, I would like to think they could get people from both sides of the aisle on board. Got about 30 seconds left. Are you enjoying running Purdue University? You, you've done I'm the impossible. the young people on this campus. That's the, that's the joy of it. You know, we've had Purdue open uh, all year, probably as open as any school our size, getting close to normalcy now. And uh, I'm very much enjoying the fact that here, um, young people's education uh, was not interrupted. They didn't lose a year or part of it. And, uh, you know, watching them uh, grow on schedules mm-hmm. uh, is an immense ma- uh, joy. You bet it is. And you're one who gets tuition down instead of up. Uh, Mitch Daniels, always great to talk to you. Thank you. Okay, Brian, thanks. All right, coming up next, Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, and then your calls. Brian Kilmichow, don't move. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Shame, shame, shame. I would like to ask my Republican colleagues, why are you so afraid of democracy? Anybody ought to be feeling any shame around here. It's turning the FEC into a partisan prosecutor to harass and intimidate the other side. And that was a little of the dueling that went on yesterday. So much at stake. How about the history, uh, the future of elections? I mean, that's it. About 34 states have already changed to tighten up their election laws after the pandemic for so many to change their rules and made so many unsettled about the outcome. I mean, Republicans had a good night outside the presidency and kind of blew the special election in Georgia, which overwhelmed what many people thought they were going to lose the Senate anyway. They didn't. They won in Maine. They won in Iowa. Uh, but uh, stunningly, they lost both seats in Georgia. Joining us now, Senator Bill Haggerty, Republican from Tennessee. Senator, what's at stake in H.R. 1? Well, Brian, great to be back on with you again. Um, they're calling this H.R. 1 an, an election security package. If you like what the Democrats are doing with border security, just wait till you see what they're going to do with election security. This is nothing but a blatant power grab. With the thinnest of the thinnest of majorities, 50-50 here in the Senate, they're going to use this opportunity, I think, to, to, to blow right through and completely change and federalize uh, our election system. Uh, as, as you played just a, just a few minutes ago or a few seconds ago, the notion of turning the FEC from a 50-50 bipartisan body, a fair election arbiter, to a, you know, to, to a partisan body, a 3-2 body that's 
under the control of whoever is sitting in the White House at that point in time, that will become a tool to prosecute every member of the opposition party. That will become a weapon that uh, I think that the founders would have never intended to have here in America. You're supposed to have states' rights. I mean, I don't even know how this – if this does pass on a simple majority, which would be impossible without killing the filibuster, yes. if it does do that, how does it stand up for constitutional scrutiny? How am I going to tell Oregon you can no longer just do mail-in voting? How am I going to tell uh, New York uh, that you got it? by the way, uh, California and New York uh, already could be accused of doing racist things because they are requiring both a photo ID and Social Security number. Are they racist? I mean, I mean, this is what, so what's going on right now in Georgia. A bill would expand early voting by four days. Is that is that racist? Is that trying to repress uh, voting? You know, I, a lot of the things that are being done in states is because that's what the states are going to be doing. I would not mind a over, some oversight on those states, but I can't tell people in Tennessee what to do. Can I? Well, that's certainly not the intent of, of the founding fathers. That's that is. The, the beauty of the laboratories of democracy that are the United States, and there are only you know very you know a very limited number of powers that are expressly and you know this better than anybody Brian that, that are expressly given to the federal government all others are reserved for the states. This is an overreach like never before, and I think what you have here very simply is an effort by those who have obtained power to try to use that power to keep themselves in office permanently. It sounds more like what you would see from Maduro in Venezuela than what we would ever have here in the United States. Right. You have Stacey Abrams, who is opposing toughening signature verification. Why? Uh, because in Colorado, is, which, by the way, is pretty securely blue, they rejected a, a one out of every 112 ballots on signature verification, not because they're racist, because they want to make sure that every vote, a good, a justified vote, counts. But I want you to hear what the, new, the newest senator, Raphael Warnock, said yesterday. Hold on to something. Cut 37. Georgia is ground zero for the voting rights debate. And it is difficult to overstate how important this issue is. If there's any lack of confidence in our voting system, it's because politicians have been pushing the big lie. They are using the lie about voter fraud as a pretext for voter suppression. This is Jim Crow Redux in new clothes. There is no reason for this. What we saw was black voters all across the country standing up, other voters of color, young people, women, students, and they made a difference in the election. Do you really think this is Jim Crow revisited? No, I don't. I think what this is is opening the floodgates for more fraud and abuse in the system. Unlimited ballot harvesting. That means you can pay someone on an hourly basis to go out and collect as many ballots as they want. They can deposit them in an unmanned ballot box. Who knows how many they'll keep, how many they'll throw out. Uh, you know, th th this anticipates problems like this. If you think about what it means for getting illegal immigrants into the system, if you're a recipient of, of government benefits, you know, let's say you sign up for a driver's license. A lot of illegal immigrants are allowed to do that. You're automatically registered to vote. And the bill actually excuses those from liability if they happen to vote through one of these means. This is going to be one of the biggest means of, of enlisting illegal immigrants to vote in the United States that we've ever seen. Well, I want you just to go over some of it. Uh, it implements mandatory automatic voter registration nationwide. How would that even work? Well, the systems aren't in place to have this to, to work. The, 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 
the snippets that you cut out of the hearing that happened yesterday, I'm a member of the Rules Committee. I was sitting right there. The attorneys general, the secretaries of state that we had as witnesses, explained that they don't have the computer systems. They don't even exist yet. The systems that are being mandated for 2022 are not even in existence. This is going to be a colossal operational disaster. I don't think the Democrats care about that. In fact, they love chaos. That, that's why they're allowing votes to be counted 10 days after Election Day. There's going to be nothing more chaotic than if you think that uh, 2020 was challenging. Wait till you see what they do in 2022. If they they're get gonna, this bill passed. They're going to make it election season. Uh, it used to be election day. Uh, allows voters to substitute a photo ID with a sworn written statement. Yes, and, and, the, and the only person that has to verify that is the voter, the alleged voter. Expands mail-in voting. Fantastic. Even uh, old studies show that that's the easiest place to uh, perpetrate fraud. It restores voting rights for convicted felons. Is that something we need to do? And implements mandatory automatic voter registration, as I mentioned. Uh, here's what Carl Rove said in today's Wall Street Journal. I, I got a preview last night on primetime when I interviewed him, and I said, what have you discovered that's already taking place in these states, and how wrong is it that people, every time you bring up signature verification, you're a racist? Cut 36. My column is about Democratic hypocrisy. You mentioned uh, dry, uh, voter ID. In Georgia, there's a bill uh, now that requires a driver's license number to be on your mail-in ballot. You have to put on your driver's license number so that they can confirm that verify it's you. And the Democrats call it racist and vote suppression. Well, guess what? In New Jersey, Virginia, and California, if you want to register to vote, you have to have a driver's license or your Social Security number. Are those states racist? Are we going to have Stacey Abrams going out and, and claiming that those states are racist? Similarly, in Iowa, they attacked a bill there that said we're going we're gonna to move our closing time back from 9 p.m. To, to 8 p.m., and they said, well, that's racist. Well, look at all these states, California, Delaware, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Maryland, D.C. They all have seven, the same closing, opening and closing hours as Iowa. Right. So my column tomorrow is about, all the, about a number of instances where the Republicans are being called racist for doing things that Democrat states are doing. And I just think it's important to point that out and not take it. Not every time you ask for voter ID, it doesn't mean you don't like minorities or women. Oh, absolutely. And if you think about what's underneath all of this, go back to the commission that Jimmy Carter and Secretary James Baker led. They identified the two biggest vulnerabilities for fraud in the voting system are mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting. What are the Democrats trying to do with this bill? They're trying to put this into legislation. Those two areas that are the greatest vulnerabilities for fraud is what they're trying to legislate right now. If you want to know what the intent is, that's what the intent is. It has nothing to do with racism. It has everything to do with them trying to find ways that tilt the advantage toward themselves. They obviously believe that illegal immigrants are going to favor them uh, by making it mandatory that felons vote. They won't even put polling places in jails. Uh, you know, Many states have made the decision that a felon, a murderer, a rapist, uh, someone who's molested a child, does not automatically have the right to vote after they've done something like this. But this is going to federalize all of this, take that away from the states, and make felons immediately able to vote. Why did the Democrats do that? They obviously think that felons are going to vote Democrat. Uh, I think that's an embarrassment to the nation, and this is something that we need to continue to call out. You're doing a great job, Brian, but people don't even know what's in this bill. Democrats 
in the Senate don't know what's in this bill. Several Democrats on the floor didn't realize that this was going to turn the FEC into a partisan body that could be used as a weapon against the opposition party. They, they don't know what's in the bill. As long as we've got people like yourselves and your listeners talking about this, we have a chance to push back on it. So listen to where they're putting the pressure on. Uh, with Black Lives Matter, as they started protesting, corporations started writing big checks. We still don't know where that money went. And now you see corporations, you better not support Donald Trump and his party. You better not lend Donald Trump money if you're a bank or else you're going to get protested. Uh, you're going to get canceled. So Ed O'Keefe of CBS said this on CBS today, Cut 39. In, uh, by the way, this is happening in Georgia corporations. Big employers in Georgia like Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, UPS, all of them facing pressure from voting rights groups, uh, Democrats in the state saying, you know, you should be speaking out about this because corporate pressure often can influence a debate. The Georgia Chamber of Commerce says they support accessible and secure voting while upholding election integrity and transparency. It's a pretty neutral statement there. We'll see. So they're trying to get these powerful companies to speak out. Against uh, for HR one, yeah. Any leverage point that they can that they can push, they will. And again, they immediately open up using the race card review. Listen to Chuck Schumer's comments yesterday. Basically, it's peppered just like uh, Raphael Warnock's comments. Uh, they're pushing on an issue that really has nothing to do with this HR one. And corporations need to look at what's actually happening here and what the real intent of HR one S one is, uh, rather than the talking points. Joe Biden made an announcement yesterday. The border is not a crisis. It's a catastrophe in my mind, but not a crisis. He said this, though. Cut one. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts with uh, Mexico and the Northern Triangle and the countries uh, that uh, help us. We're going to need help in stemming the movement of uh, so many folks. Uh, uh, it's so yeah. painful, I can't even hear it. Uh, so without a prompter, it's uh, unbelievably excruciating yeah. to listen. But the vice president is, is the most qualified person to handle this. Mr. Miss, I, I'm not going to uh, criminalize border crossings, who calls ICE, sim- says ICE tactics are similar to the KKK. She's the most qualified Oh, she's the most qualified to take the hit on this because this is a disaster of their own making. Uh, She's she's being set up for a massive failure here. Really? The answer is clear as a bell. They need to go back to the migrant protection protocols, the stay in Mexico policy that President Trump put in. That was so successful and so effective. Just in a knee-jerk move, they lifted that. They signaled, as you know, back before the election that if Biden were to win, the border is going to be open, and people are risking their lives. They're, they've enabled the cartels to get back in business again. We've got more drugs in my state, Brian. I've talked with sheriffs in Tennessee. Uh, they've seen a lot more illicit drug traffic pick up since all of this border crisis began. We've got more human trafficking. And again, we've got people risking their lives coming across this border, children being traded and transferred back and forth. It's a disgrace. And again, it's a crisis of their own making. They have no plan, and they can't win this one by just changing the talking points. And if Vice President Harris is going to own it, we should make sure she owns it. You know, we have affiliates across the country, and we watch as Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, Florida, Arkansas, all open up uh, almost entirely. Where's Tennessee? How's Broadway looking? Well, we're, we're getting back to business now. Uh, Broadway had had a very heavy hit. Yep. Um, the the local mayors in, in Davidson County and, and Shelby County, which is Memphis, I think took a very 
uh, you know, very stern posture against the tourism business, the hospitality business in our state. And if you know Broadway in Nashville, we are a hospitality and tourism town. It's a great place to be. And that area took a big hit. Uh, the parts of parts of Tennessee over in East Tennessee that also are great for tourism had a booming business because there were, were not such stringent uh, lockdown procedures. But in Nashville, we are recovering, just not fast enough in my view. Uh, it's, it's certainly a lot better, I think, than, than other states. And I've been to the airport you know, going back and forth uh, for, from, from Congress to, to home. The airport's picked up a great deal, too. So I'm optimistic that we're getting back in business, but uh, I wish it could have been sooner. Just make sure the hermitage ends up okay, okay? Okay. All, All right. right. We'll do. Andrew Jackson's house. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Senator Haggerty. Appreciate it. Uh, he's looking to open up and fu- push back uh, when it, what happens on uh, what's happening with HR1. Listen, your turn next. one 408 7669 We also know the President of the United States will have his first press conference. It's the longest wait in modern American history for a press conference. What questions would you ask? Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Senator Obama... Are you comfortable? Is there anything we can get for you? No, thank you. I'm fine. John King, a follow-up? Senator Obama, a minute ago, Jorge Ramos asked if there was anything we could get you, and you said, quote, no, thank you, I'm fine. My question is, are you sure? Because it's, you know, it's really no trouble. I am quite sure. Thank you, though. That is uh, Barack Obama. Remember, uh, one of the questions uh, from Jeff Selene was, what enchants you most about the office? Uh, For the most part, Barack Obama would get a question and go on for 15 minutes and would never give a follow-up. If he got a follow-up, you forgot the original question. And now you had Donald Trump coming uh, coming and going, taking all questions. People go, oh, he's lying. He's trying to get famous. He's doing this. And now you have Joe Biden refuses to take any questions. Yesterday, for example, this is so typical. He didn't know what was going on, didn't know what to do after a press conference was over, where he made this announcement about the vice president taking over the border. Listen to some of this exchange. And just let, let, let me just let you know that it, at one fifteen Eastern time today, we're going to be in an unscripted situation. Cut 27. Um, now we're going to get down to business here. And, uh, and uh, Ron, who am I turning this over to? Well, I, well uh, thank you very much, Mr. President. I think it's uh, time for the press, our friends in the press to leave, though. Thank you. Thank you very much. Whenever did Donald Trump, maybe once or twice when he was in a rush, did he ever walk out when they started shouting questions after? Never. Couple of questions. Number one, I would like to know you're running for another term. Number two, I would like to say when it comes to these border facilities, what's the difference between pens and cages? Uh, when we saw these pictures, how do you explain the number of kids in the close proximity? What do you say to the hundreds of people who have tested positive of the COVID-19 virus? How do you claim that you have inherited a mess when the president of Mexico says that your your policies are the one that caused the chaos at the border? 
Is that pure politics? Do you agree with your vice president when she said uh, when, when she said we should decriminalize uh, border crossings and that the KKK uh, is having the same tactics as ICE? Is that why you put her in charge? Dan Bongino, cut 28. Why don't they have to justify this? But then you mentioned because the media, they don't care. Is anybody going to ask this guy a serious question and a follow-up in the media? We now have a country. The country is just a suggestion at this point. I can't say this enough. There is no definable border to this country anymore. Joe Biden got in office and two months wiped out any delineated border the United States has. And he is upspending by $3 trillion in an aid package you could argue we don't need. The economy was already turning around. We have less numbers, uh, 695,000 jobless claims, that unemployment at 6.2%. We are about to open up, thankfully, because of the vaccine. And he does deserve, to a degree, uh, credit for organizing the vaccine. But in the big picture, we're just spending, 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 and now $5 more trillion, and we have a border that's a sieve, and we have people coming across that are positive for the coronavirus at a time in which we're ridiculed for not wearing two masks. He better get some questions on this. If people have some pride in their jobs outside Fox. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. At the bottom of the hour, John Roberts joins us, co-anchor of America Reports. And uh, getting out of the shower, he's just about ready. He wanted me to buy some time. Chris Wallace, the same Chris Wallace who's anchor of Fox News Sunday. And I got to remind you, I'll be hosting tonight, uh, Fox News Primetime at 7 p.m. Hope you all could be there. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a federal takeover of the way we conduct every election in America. This bill obviously is designed to make it easier to cheat, to subsidize campaigns by the federal government, and to have one party take over the enforcement of American elections. Battle for the ballots. The Dems are pushing H.R. 1, which, if passed in the House, it has passed in the House, will now revolutionize how we vote. It's unconstitutional. It should set off alarm bells in every Republican household, which is why lawmakers on both sides are digging in and drawing blood. Number two. How do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Can you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? Mr. Biden, <laughs> Mr. Biden, what flavor did you get? Yeah, one vanilla, one chocolate. The wait is over. President Biden will hold his first presser today, the longest wait in modern American presidential history. Outside of Fox, will the media drop the kid gloves and go for the knockout, knowing the president has no chin? What questions do you want to hear? I'll ask Chris. Number one. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts in stemming the movement of... Uh, so many folks uh, stemming the migration to our southern border. Oh, replace the batteries in the prompter. 
The VP gets a job straightening out the catastrophe at our southern border. The problem for her and now for us, she might be the worst selection the president could have made, judging by her own words, past actions and giggles. But first. And now it is time to clear the airwaves for the president of the Brian Kilmeade Show Labor Union. You know what that was? What? You know what that was? What was that, that was a cry for help. <laughs> From your staff. Uh, Offering emotional support and comfort in these trying times. When you see Frank Bruno in New York, give him a hug. Well, I have now had my vaccine, so I'm ready to give Frank Bruno a hug and a kiss. He's really leaning into this help the staff thing, isn't he? Help is on the way. Chris Wallace. Chris, you, there's a, there's a I lot. have so many things to say to you. You've given me so much ammunition. I know. Well, for, oh, fire away. Why, why should I lead the okay, witness? Well, let's start with this. How many hours a week do you do Fox and Friends? Well, I didn't do Fox and Friends this week. They just want me no, to do I'm, the seven. I know, but normally how many do you do? Uh, three hours a day, 15 hours. 15 hours. How many hours do you do the Brian Kilmeade show? 15 hours. So that's 30 hours a week. Yes. And now you're auditioning to do... Five more hours, an hour of prime time, uh, so five more. So that would be 30, uh, 40, no, 35 hours a week. You, you, you would do this and keep the other gigs? I, what is, I don't know if I'm auditioning. They just asked me to do it. You know, I'm also filling in, I think, for Laura. I'm going to do the five next week, a couple of days. Just help what out when I can. with you? What do you mean? Well, I mean... Why do you need is – your, is your self-esteem so empty that you need to fill it up with the gratification of being on television all the time? I wouldn't say empty, but I would say it's low. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not pushing E, but it's below a quarter. So, I mean, the, the light's on. And I've, I've got something in my car now. I have a new, a new car, and it, it, like, shows you where the near ga- nearest gas stations are. Does yours have, like, little – here's where you can get some self-esteem. You can get it on Fox News Primetime. You can get it on Laura. You can get it on The Five. Does it, like, keep blinking those things? Put it this way. I don't consider them shows. I consider them slices of life when you get to get involved in something that is going to reveal information. Like, a show would be – Hi, everyone. Welcome. Here are my jokes, and here's my band. That's the Tonight Show, or the way the Tonight Show used to be. With us, I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like we're going like this. I have no idea where this segment's going to go or how the show's going to go. So we're riding the news. We're bringing in information. So if I could do that oh, on please. camera, why wouldn't I do that? Oh, I, I, because I would think 30 hours was enough. I would well, think 30, but it's obviously not enough for you. You just can't. Stop. It's like you're addicted to being on television. Well, I mean, you never know when it's going to end. Didn't we discuss this? You can't, uh, judging by the way everything's going, people are pulling the plug one minute, podcast bigger than radio the next minute. Um, You know, uh, only people under 25 can do television. That might be a rule that happens. It might put us all out the pasture. So people are going to say, why didn't you take advantage of that door when it was open? Well, you're taking advantage of that door. You've kicked down the door. You've knocked it down. You've blown a hole in the doorway. Uh, I don't know. I Have just, you I mean, watched I, at seven? I mean, how do I look at, at oh. night? <laughs> enough about enough about me. More about you. Uh, you look fine. You're doing just fine. Honestly, I'm, I will say this: you seem more comfortable in the format this time than you did the last time. Now, everybody else would take that as a compliment, ladies and gentlemen. Brian will take that as well. What was the wrong with the way I did it the first time? I'm not going to play into it. I'm just going to move on. Uh, 
But you're thinking that, aren't you? A little bit. But, I mean, I'll talk to Eric and Pete in the break about, like, what you really mean by that. But for now, I'm worried more about my audience. What question would Chris Wallace like asked at 115 today when Joe Biden makes his first press conference, has his first press conference? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking that. First of all, I want to say that you introduced this segment by saying who's going to go for the knockout because he doesn't have a chin. Yep. Is that the way you view a news conference? Did you view it that way with Donald Trump? Let's go for the knockout because he doesn't have a chin. Well, they were going for the knockout every day. He does have a chin. I agree. Donald Trump has a chin. He can take. I mean, when you think of the things that have been said to him. Uh, and, oh. and some of the questions that I thought were over the line, he, he is amazing. He, he well, just, well, Chris, you, you, what about you? You Your last interview with him, I think, was outside in 100-degree temperatures, and you're both in suits. And it went on for, you said unedited was like about an hour? Yes. I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, it wasn't my choice. It was his choice. And Showed I guts and confidence. And he was regretting it. Right. But one of us was sweating and one of us wasn't, and I was cool as a cucumber. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I'll tell you, uh, I, what would I want to know? I mean, well, look, go ahead, there, yeah. obviously, there are obvious policy questions like, you know, what, what's, <laughs> how have you screwed up the border or, you know, you, guns or, you know, you're just going to spend all the money in the world. Here's a question I'm kind of curious at, and, and you're going to probably say it's a softball. Okay. But, but I'm, listen, just bear me out. It, it has come out that that Biden held a two-hour meeting with yes. some of the great historians in the country, like Doris Kearns Goodwin yeah. and Don Meacham and Michael Beschloss, and he was talking about FDR and how FDR transformed the country. And I would not be adverse to asking a question, if you could really get him to talk, about how ambitious are you about transforming the country and why do you think it needs so much transformation? What, what do you think? I think it's really good. In fact, that was my open last night. And I just said, you know, Axios reported that this took place. Now we have a date and we even know who the historians were. John Meacham set it up and he want he looked at FDR and LBJ and wanted to know how they did it and how the circumstances might be like his. And the only way for him to do it, by the way, would be uh, would be to get rid of the filibuster because I agree. Know, FDR had and, and LBJ had great momentum and sympathy and FDR had great majorities. So and, and that would be the follow up question. If he's if he starts talking about how much he wants to change it, say, well, if you got all these ambitions, Mr. President, stop. You know, why don't you stop pussyfooting around and just kill the filibuster? You know, I, I think, well, Joe Manchin would stand I, in his way, obviously, but he would actually have to speak out on it. And he's in the past saying we should never do it. And he could lose all that power in in a year and a half. Right. So I think it'd be that would be an interesting exchange. I'm, you know, I would also want to ask about the other things. But if I particularly if late in the news conference, I got out, called on. That's the interesting thing. You know, I, I uh, did this for six years, presidential news conferences with Reagan. And you would go into a news conference with about four or five questions. And it was a little nerve wracking because what would happen is you would uh, you, you'd go through your your. your you know, they would start and you'd have your news making questions. What's going on with Iran-Contra? What's going on with Russia and Gorbachev? But as Helen Thomas and other people started, Sam Donaldson started asking those questions, you would tick them off and then you would go to, you know, well, here's standby three and standby four. And the, the particularly obnoxious thing one time, 
I, all of us would do it. And one time a guy got called on really early in the news conference and he turned around to somebody behind him and said, here's the rest of my questions. Maybe you can use them. So, you know, that's the little kind of insight I give you and what it's like on the front lines in the White House. Well, I'll put it this way. One thing you could, I would say, more, much more succinct. You said you're going to go across party lines. You say that every, every part of your soul was about coming together as a country, not Republicans and Democrats, Americans, right? And yet this was the exchange yesterday with Bill Hammer and Dana Perino and Mitch McConnell. I haven't been invited to the White House uh, so far. This administration is not doing any, not interested in doing anything on a bipartisan basis in the political center. Uh, they'd be more than happy to pick off a few of our members and do what they would like to do. Uh, but there's been no effort, effort whatsoever by the president or the administration to do anything in the political center. When was the last time you had a conversation with President Biden, even on the phone? I don't believe I've spoken with him since he was sworn in. We had a couple of conversations before then. Lindsey Graham, cut 41. Has President Biden reached out to you? No, I haven't talked to him uh, before the election, but the... So these are the people that he'd lean on. He's not even, he's not even going through the motions, Chris. That's got to be your focus. It's like, you well, just say, I'm going to jam it down. My, I gave up on Republicans. Well, here's, here's the only reason I, I would not ask that question, because I, if I can answer it myself, if I think I know what his answer is going to be, I'm not going to ask. What do you think question. it is? I think, he, I think his answer would be two things. Look, I had 10 Republican senators in right at the beginning to talk about uh, the COVID relief bill. I had a bunch of other senators in, Republicans, to talk about infrastructure, Republicans I thought I could work with. And the fact is, my policies, you, you look at the polls a majority of Republicans, a big majority of the country, 70 percent, support them. So this is bipartisan. I'm not saying that's a necessarily good answer, but I think it's an answer he could give, and you'd feel like, well, I haven't really gotten anything. Right. So I want you to—you were awesome, especially last weekend. I watched Mayorkas on every channel, but you're the only one who pressed him. This is—and we need answers to these questions because this is a catastrophe. Listen. Why did you refuse to allow reporters to see the conditions— under which these miners are being held? Uh, two things, uh, Chris, if I may. Number one, let's not forget that we're in the midst uh, of a pandemic, and we are focused uh, on our operations. Respectfully, sir, I, I think that there is a safe condition under which a pool reporter and a pool camera crew could go into some of the, these facilities. This has been going on for two months now, and record the conditions under which these miners are being held. It seems to me to say it's impossible to do because of COVID sounds like an excuse. He gave uh, this— he gave the same answer to everyone. You're the only one to press him on it. You know what? I think that guy has a future in broadcasting. And I'm not talking about Alejandro Mayorkas. <laughs> no, that was good. I, I actually liked that exchange, and I was proud of it. And, and incidentally, that's the key. is It's not the question. You know, we all have our questions. It's the follow-up. Yeah. It's listening to what they say and calling BS and the idea, well, it's a pandemic. We can't allow people in. It's crazy. That's that's nonsense. Of course, you can allow people. I'm not saying you allow 50 reporters and camera crews in, but you can allow one or two reporters and a couple of camera crews in to, you know, to report on what's happening. And remember, people are forgetting this. What they showed yesterday was the HHS facility, which is cleaned up and it's in better shape. 
It's the what people are really concerned about is the Customs and Border Patrol facilities that uh, are, are, you know, where they're supposed to be for no more than 72 hours, which aren't as nearly nicely outfitted. They're jail cells in many cases. And uh, a lot of them have been there for 10 for 10 days or more, way beyond the legal limits. Um, it, 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 the other you know, the other question I really like that I asked my orcas at the very beginning is I understand the conditions for the for these migrant kids and that it's it's bad. Why is that our responsibility? I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who are under terrible conditions around the world. Yep. Are we just saying we're going to take them all in and we're going to just, you know, fill the country up with people that we can't vet who maybe have, have COVID, all kinds of things because of the fact that they don't like where they are? I, I you know, I, I just that's the problem I've got with this is is it's like we're the vacuum cleaner for the for for unfortunate people around the world. I, I don't think that's what the rules should be. I agree. And uh, obviously everyone loves kids, but I also like our kids and I like uh, I like Nigerian kids and Haitian kids and uh, Norwegian kids. Should we take in everybody's kids? At, meanwhile, we're $27 trillion in debt. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. There's nothing wrong with being uh, for Americans first, and that's, I think that's what you're saying. But it's hard for you when you have so many good questions to narrow it down to one. That's why I did it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I remember, incidentally, when you're, you, you know, in your little, uh, your little tribute there to kids, you know, you instead of spending those five hours this week at night, seven o'clock at night on television, you could go home and be with your own kids. Right. I know, but uh, who knows what they're up to. You know, I get home. <laughs> well, you would if you did, huh? if you were actually home. I got to got to say I have a feeling. I don't think that the Kilmeade kids want to spend more time with their dad. I just don't think that that's something if you said, uh, "Would you rather your dad be on TV or he's home counseling you?" I think they'd say, "He's Fox's problem." <laughs> or America <laughs> needs him more than we do. Maybe. Exactly. It's it's their sacrifice. Yeah. Right, Chris Wallace, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Have a and great okay, Sunday. Real quickly, we're going to have Lindsey Graham on the show Sunday. Lots to talk to him about. He actually answers your questions and he allows you follow up. So it's going to be great. Thanks, Chris. There you go. Bye. Back in a moment. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And look, it's, it's, they don't even understand the nature of the job, right? Uh, nature of being governor is there are always multiple situations to deal with. Past four years, we had to deal with Donald Trump as president. You want to talk about a distraction? That was a distraction. Yeah, a nice deflection. Uh, Governor Cuomo has got the nursing home scandal where he covered up the numbers. Governor Cuomo has got eight separate accusers, and he, again, wants you to talk about Donald Trump. Congratulations. You have nowhere to go, and you're getting great self-esteem, getting even higher, if I could steal uh, Chris Wallace's uh, language, uh, than it is by going through this as if you're being persecuted like Job. Now there's another scandal, and it's written up by The Washington Post. It turns out that Governor Cuomo and New York's New York's health commissioner, Howard Zucker, directed officials to prioritize the governor's own family 
and figures, uh, family with figures and ties to the administration in the early days of the coronavirus, including his brother, Chris Cuomo, which, by the way, is a blatant violation of state rules. And people who do that or get their kid a job or their uncle um, a pension, they get fired. The same doctor who tested Chris Cuomo, Eleanor Adams, now a top advisor to the state, also enlisted multiple tests and test other Cuomos. You know what they would do after they tested Chris Cuomo? They would put the test results in a state trooper car and they'd bring it to the lab to get tested. Doesn't sound too ethical, does it? This adds to everything else. But you could go ahead and focus on Donald Trump. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But we'll just have to see where he goes with it, how long he takes, how many questions he takes, how long he stands there. And then there is, you know, there is the obvious question of these are not generally great formats for him. He can get thin skinned when he gets asked questions that he doesn't like. Senators, which is what he was for decades, don't typically hold press conferences. They do engage with reporters, but in a different way. And so I expect that we will see a, a, a taking down of the temperature, but that doesn't mean that it's all going to be easy and comfortable. Maggie Haberman in the New York Times uh, talking about this press conference today at 1.15 in the afternoon, the first for Joe Biden. But here's what's unique. He's coming off a presidential campaign. Usually you're in pretty good shape with that because you've done a million interviews, but not in the pandemic, not if you're Joe Biden. You won by not doing almost anything thing at all. I mean, some Zoom calls with friendly donors and maybe some parking lot speeches that don't last 15 minutes. I'm really not exaggerating. John Roberts lived it. He's a co-anchor of America Reports. It gets started uh, a little bit about uh, one o'clock today, right after Outnumbered. John, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. So you don't have to get ready for a presidential press conference. First time in a long time. Do you, do you have a longing for it? Are you glad you're not in the uh, line of fire today or offering? You a know, fire? I've, I've I've done so many of these things, Brian, that I'm I'm happy to sit back and uh, and, and watch my my uh, colleagues uh, Peter Ducey and Kristen Fisher handle this. Uh, they'll they'll do a terrific job, and you know, Peter likes to ask the difficult questions. So does Kristen, and uh, if they get a chance, and nobody's saying that they will, but if they get a chance to ask a question today, I think it'll be a good one. Well, what do you think? You think they will? I mean, President Obama was very. I remember when Ed Henry was in there. President Obama would rarely put him on that list. You know, I I don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to do this. I don't know if they're going to do the Donald Trump format, which is just you know calling anybody who's within your field of vision, or maybe you go from a short list at the beginning and then you go free for all uh, from there, or if you stick with the old tradition of calling on the Associated Press first and then uh, the then Reuters. And then you go to the networks, and then you go to uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times, and then it's kind of free-for-all from there on in. I don't know how he's going to do it. It'll be interesting to see. The, the thing that I'm really curious about, Brian, is that you know, I covered a lot of these during the, uh, the Clinton and the Bush administration. 
and they were in prime time. They were big network events. They would start at 8 o'clock at night, be very formal affairs yeah, in the East Room. This is at one fifteen in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Uh, which is unusual. I mean, you know, President Trump was all over the map in terms of, you know, he would call snap press conferences, you know, 10 minutes, be there. Uh, but, but this is like a formal deal, but it's in the middle of the afternoon, and I'm wondering why. I think you know why. Uh, the, least scru- the less scrutiny, the better. And if they thought he would thrive in this format, they would have had 20 of these already. He doesn't. And, you know, when, when he was, know, in, I, his, when I, he was I, in the I, prime, I, he could screw stuff up. I, I don't know if they're, you know, trying to go for a low audience or if it's a performance thing. And, you know, when I, I know that my optimal performance is, to, I mean, it's great that I'm doing the show between one and three o'clock because that's when I operate best. I'm not much of a morning person. I'm not a night person either anymore. So, you know, we've got a couple of hours in the afternoon where I do really well. Uh, and maybe it's the same thing uh, with the president. I did notice them to have uh, this big formal thing in the East Room. And not have it at night is, or at least in the evening, is a little weird. Great observation. A couple of things, John. I do notice the questions to Jen Psaki are getting a little bit pointed. People are getting a little upset about the lack of transparency. And, you know, I feel, and I do feel bad for her because, you know, her answers aren't great when it comes to the border. Don't pretend like you have a great, you don't have a great answer for any of these things. You want to get through these without too many hard questions. But now you're not letting the press in. Then you go to a sanitized shelter instead of the one maybe in Donna, Texas. So it's not a crisis. Now the vice president's in charge. She's got a checkered past, a controversial past when it comes to illegal immigration. So she's out there taking the fire for not just Fox. Have you noticed this? Uh, can, can I circle back to you on that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean – there, there's 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 one thing to be said for a press secretary who acknowledges that they don't have an answer for you to a certain question as opposed to other press secretaries I've seen who if they don't have an answer for something, they just punt or they deflect and they go in a different direction. So to some degree, I appreciate the fact that she'll say, I don't have anything on that, but I'll get back to you on it. Because that's, that's, that, that, that is something that we have seen before, particularly with people like Mike McCurry. He was very honest when it came to that sort of thing. Uh, Ari Fleischer was like that as well, though he, he tended, you know, to have an answer more more often than not. Uh, so to some degree, I appreciate the fact that if she doesn't have an answer for something, she'll say, "I'll get back to you on that." The circle back thing has become a, a, a little bit of a cliche. Yeah. Uh, but you would also think that they would have, you know, comprehensive answers for some pretty simple things that they're being asked. And this idea that their that, that that their notion of transparency was to let cameras into the Carrizo Springs facility, which was actually built during the Trump administration, and is no different then than it is now. Rather than allowing cameras into the Donna, Texas facility, which is a mess, or into any of these uh, Border Mm -hmm. Patrol holding uh, stations, which are filled to overflowing. You know, it was a real Potemkin Village kind of dog and pony show yesterday. And I don't think a lot of people are looking at this with a tremendous amount of credibility on the part of the administration. So here is a little of that exchange, cut 11. The access being granted uh, today for the pool is of a facility that is aspirational of where you want to move uh, these children. Mm -hmm. What about access to the facilities where there is overcrowding and there is an actual uh, problem. Why was this one chosen over those? We're also open to providing access there, um, and this is just the first step in a process of providing greater access to the media. Do you agree, though, that you've chosen the the facility that is uh, is the aspirational facility as opposed to the problem at this moment? 
Well, I would say we all agree that the, the Border Patrol facilities are not places where children should be. Why not show those to the we, American we, we, we will, and we are working with the Border Patrol and with uh, DHS to, to determine how we can do that. Now, that is, those are fine questions, but can you imagine the tone of those questions if it was to uh, Kaylee McEnany or Huggery oh, yeah. Sanders? Yeah, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It would, it, or to President Trump or to Kirsten Nielsen or to Chad Wolf or anybody who was in the line of fire in the Trump administration. Nah, it, it, it would have been a bloodbath. Uh, but remember, too, when Jeff Zeleny asked this probing question to Barack Obama. During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most, and troubled you the most? Now let me write this down. <laughs> Are we going to get that question today? Because it was within the first 100 days. You know, I tweeted out when they made the announcement about the press conference. I said, if, if, if with nine days notice, these questions aren't the most well thought out, probative questions that we've ever seen in the history of presidential politics, then something will be amiss. If, if, if Joe Biden gets thrown a softball like that after nine days notice, for this press conference, Brian, I mean, it will be a pathetic reflection on the state of the press corps. I'm hoping that nothing like that happens. But if something like that happens, oh, my goodness, what, you know, where where have we gone here with presidential coverage? If you decided and you might have to write a, uh, to a book about your experiences covering Donald Trump, I'd read it. And I and because I watch your questions, he get mad at you, but he would all he always respect you. And, you know, a couple of times we were on the air when he called you. So your information would be cutting edge. I am surprised, maybe you're not, that the following reporters evidently have been given the go-ahead to come to Mar-a-Lago and consult with him on the final leg of writing a book about him. Jeremy Peters of the New York Times, Peter Baker and Susan Glasser of the New York Times, Phil Rucker and Carol Lenning of uh, the New York Times. I can't read my own writing. Uh, Michael Bender of the Wall Street Journal. Woodward and Costa. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet. Why would you let Bob Woodward back? After, and Ryan Lizza and Olivia Nuza uh, are going to be invited back so the president can consult with them on their book, and as well as Maggie Haberman. You know you how. Know, can, I tell, Go ahead. can I tell you, out of that whole list of people, the only one that I believe will give him a fair shake is Mike Bender of the Wall Street Journal. Okay. Uh, you know, Mike, Mike is very, he's a great reporter. He's a very fair reporter. Everybody else has got, everybody else has been hammering Trump. For forever. I mean, he's known Maggie Haberman for a long, long time. And personally, I really like Maggie. You know, we have a, we have a great relationship. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of worms in the apples that she reports about uh, when it comes to Trump. But, but here's the thing about Donald Trump. And this is the reason why he let uh, Woodward in and why he was so candid with him and why this came back to bite him so badly, because he still believes he can shape the narrative. He hasn't realized that he can't do that. And the more he tries and and the more transparent he is, the more open and honest he is about how he really feels, the worse it's going to come back to bite him. I just don't understand. It's, you know, he, he's 74 years old now. He just saw what happened for the last four years. He's no longer host of The Apprentice. And to think that he's going to give these people additional access and put more money in their pockets and bring them down to his resort is mind-boggling. It's because he thinks that by bringing them down and talking to them, he can shape the narrative. And, and, and maybe someday he'll come to the realization that he can't. Do you believe that he is not looking at a $20 million book deal? I would, you know, 
I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, could he write a great book? Yeah. You know, would would he actually spend the time writing it? I don't think so. He'll get a ghostwriter in to come and write it for him. But he could write a very interesting book that I think would really sell well with the mega crowd. He could probably sell 50 or 60 million copies of it, uh, you know, particularly if he signed every copy. <laughs> it wouldn't have much uh, much of his fingers left. They'd be worn down to the nub doing that. But yeah, I think that a book uh, – he, he could probably – have the best-selling book in the history of presidential books, if he were to set his mind to it. But I don't know if he will. Uh, I just think, yeah, he's given these people his story, and a guy who's so uh, who covets knows how much his name is worth. And we, you know, as again, he's pulling all these people in that were trying to get reelected and raise money on his name. He's letting these people. I guess he feels like you said he's shaping the narrative. Uh, but uh, the oh, other thing, trying to, trying to. What did you think, John Roberts, knowing that how many times your day and story changed with his tweets when he came out last week? And I'll paraphrase. Now that I'm not on Twitter, I don't miss it. I like the idea of a press release. They're much more elegant. I should have been doing this um, more. You know, he's he's discovering a different way of doing things. And uh, I mean, Twitter, I, I hardly even look at Twitter anymore. Uh, frankly, it's it's kind of lost its uh, its impact that it had during the uh, the Trump administration. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a more traditional way that he's reaching out to people now in terms of press releases and things like that. So, you know, he's, he's got to do what he's got to do. I think he would still rather be on Twitter. But if you can't be on Twitter, then you got to go for something else. Are you enjoying the afternoons? Uh, yeah, I love it, Brian. It's, it's terrific. You know, it, it's uh, working with Sandra is great. I have tremendous respect for her. Uh, she's smart in so many ways that I'm not. And uh, she's a great colleague, and, uh, you know, we're making an, an, an impact in the afternoon, which is great. Yeah, I know. You're doing great. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy listening to the show. I always get it when I'm in normal hours on the train. I got the AirPods in, uh, taking it in. Also, with both of your your depth of experience, when things happen and things break, you're able to tap into the resources of what you know and who you know, which makes it a, a must-listen to or watch. Yeah, and, and that's why I really appreciate her because when it comes to the economy, the stock yep. market, things like that, I'm, I'm like out of my depth completely. And she was a broker, so she knows about all that stuff. So I'm happy to let her deal with all the economic stuff. You know, I can focus on a lot of the presidential politics. So I think that that's what makes us a good team is, is, is that we complement each other. Uh, absolutely. John Roberts, co-anchor, America Reports. Thanks so much, John. It's going to be an interesting afternoon. They're cutting into your time, but I think you're going to be okay with it. Yeah, no, I think it'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. In fact, I'm glad it's in our in our time period as opposed to tonight because it will really give us something to, to sink our teeth into. Go get him. John Roberts, thanks so much. Thanks, Brett. You got it. All right, one 866 By the way, I'll be on tonight at 7. One of the people I'm going to have on is Dana Perino, who um, knows all about press and messaging and unscripted situations and how to prepare and then how to do uh, the after-action report. Compare, you know, when you do make a mistake as president, how do you handle it in communications? Uh, Dana Perino joining us live tonight. So this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. The Brian Kilmeade Show, bringing you breaking news first. Joining us now is uh, John Roberts, uh, right from uh, the White House. Brian, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I put you on hold for a second? I'm sorry. I've got an official I need to talk to right now. You don't want to miss a minute. Can you come back to me in 90 seconds? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be the first to hear it. Hear it first with Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, there's variances, you know, look. I didn't want this job. You know, it was, a, it was a circus. I agree. It was Burks, Trump, and me. Guess who's still standing? Me. Okay. At first, I said, well, don't have a mask. Then I said, have a mask. Now I'm going two. I could go three. I don't go. Don't push me. You know what I mean? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I, 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 I hope this, it'd be okay if it goes on a few more months, all right? I get a good table. People love me. I mean, I get fan mails and I go on CNN every night. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm getting frisky with the wife, you know? I mean, it's a lot different. You know, she was having sex with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now she's banging a star. That's my point, Steve. And that is Dana Carvey last night on a late night show uh, doing Anthony Fauci. Am I correct? That was pretty accurate. That was pretty good. I always thought Anthony Fauci uh, sounded a lot like Phil Rizzuto. Try to find some Phil Rizzuto, Eric, in the, in the interim time in which um, I'm on. A couple of things I just want to go over. Coming up uh, at noon, you're going to have that big tech conference taking place. It's going to be uh, in front of the House uh, Energy and Commerce Committee and is going to consist of the CEOs of Twitter, Facebook, Google, uh, which is pretty important. And let's see if they're going to be honest. I believe that both sides want to see some reform. And I thought it was very telling that Bernie Sanders, of all people, came out and said, I am not comfortable. And he told this to The New York Times. Uh, I am not comfortable with Donald Trump as a former president, current president, being banned from all social media. He goes, who's next? If you could do that once, you could do it to anybody. Right now, you don't feel it's coming for Democrats. But maybe there are. Maybe they will. You know, maybe you're not left enough for AOC, and that's where the Democratic Party is going. What if you're Joe Manchin or allegedly in the middle, and maybe you say something that Twitter, who wants the young generation, wants on their side? So, Eric, were you able to find any Phil Rizzuto? Nothing? You know who you should get out? Uh, meatloaf. Bat out of hell. <laughs> that, was, that was Phil Rizzuto. Anyone remember the outstanding shortstop with the New York Yankees for years who took forever to get into the Hall of Fame that everyone was upset about? I guess you don't. A uh, couple other things uh, to go over. Before I, before, I brought on, uh, before I had a chance to bring on John Roberts, uh, I want to talk about uh, Cuomo for a second. It looks like he, uh, some, he was going out there and saying he's able to deal with some distractions, but he's not able to deal with what's going to be an investigation by the FBI and the attorney general if it doesn't come out in his direction. What I think is pretty important, too, is this a blatant, by pretty, giving his family preferential treatment in the middle of a pandemic, not only is it unethical, now does it show you he's not insincere, now does he show you that he cares more about his people, he might actually end up in a lot more trouble. Here's Mike Durso, an assemblyman, from New York State, uh, Cut 46. If these allegations are true, I just saw the report last night. It's just another hit against the governor's office and his uh, reign as New York State governor that, in all honesty, it's, it brings into question their ability to lead this state. I've, I've called for the governor uh, over a month ago now to resign or face impeachment trials. Um, and I think at this point, if these allegations are true, it's just another hit against his office and how they're leading this state. Yeah, no question. But there's a list of Republicans. He barely listens to Democrats, and it does look at that slow walking it, uh, the investigation and the assembly. Hey, make sure you listen tonight. Uh, watch tonight at 7 o'clock on Fox News Channel. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Kilmeade. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here.
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming up at, uh, shortly uh, this afternoon will be Joe Biden's first press conference. And right now, in, in within an hour, we're going to have the big tech conference, too, the first one of this administration. And I get the sense that uh, the Google, Facebook, and Twitter just hope to get out, out of this unscathed. When you talk about privacy, when you talk about the size of these behemoth companies, you got to wonder if their days uh, of this size and magnitude uh, of a monopoly, let's say, so to speak, uh, are coming to an end. John Castamatidi is coming up to us uh, shortly, uh, celebrating 200 years of uh, uh, freedom uh, for Greek, uh, for Greece and their revolution back in 1821. He's the CEO of Gristidis Food, CEO of Red Apple Media, and he's the owner of one of our fine affiliates, uh, 77 WABC, that legendary station. So, uh, Congressman Chip Roy is standing by, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a federal takeover of the way we conduct every election in America. This bill obviously is designed to make it easier to cheat, to subsidize campaigns by the federal government, and to have one party take over the enforcement of American elections. And obviously, the Democrats feel differently. Battle for the ballots. The Dems are pushing H.R. 1, which is passed in the House, will revolutionize how we vote if it passes in the Senate. It's unconstitutional, should set off alarms in every household, in a Republican household in the country. Why lawmakers on both sides are digging in and drawing blood. Number two. How do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Can you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? Mr. Biden, <laughs> Mr. Biden, what flavor did you get? You got one vanilla, one chocolate. <laughs> Softball questions. The wait is over. President Biden will hold his first presser today, the longest wait in modern American history. Outside of Fox, will the media drop the kid gloves and go for the knockout, knowing the president has no chin? What questions do you want to hear? Number one. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts in stemming the movement of uh, so many folks uh, stemming the migration to our southern border. Wow. Uh, He's barely getting out of the blocks. VP gets a job straightening out the catastrophe at the southern border. The problem, uh, she might be the worst selection the president could have made, judging by her past words and actions. Uh, Joining us now to discuss that, uh, Congressman Chip Roy. Congressman, you're over in Texas. No one wants to tell you how bad the border is. Does the vice president understand how bad the border is? I'm not sure the vice president uh, knows how to get down to the border in Texas. Uh, She certainly has been refusing to come down here so far. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure the president's even aware of how, of how bad the situation is. And, and uh, you know, look, Brian, I just got off the phone with the district attorney of a town, Bernie, just, uh, just outside of San Antonio. It's a good, you know, 150 miles from the border. And she is saying to me that we're getting refusal even now from DHS and DOJ to work with her to prosecute somebody who she found to know to be connected to a cartel with a carload of people, a kid that she found who was 15 years old who had paid $4,000 to go work on a vineyard somewhere, was getting sent to a stash house in Houston to then be put into 
forced labor. This is what is happening at our border, Brian. And, and the Democrats are trying to pretend they're the compassionate ones. When you saw on Tucker last weekend the president of El Salvador saying our country is getting decimated, cartels are now reaching into our country, pulling our labor supply out. Mexico is becoming a narco state, and we got wide open borders with over 100,000 coming in through February. Ranchers getting pillaged in South Texas. Democrat mayor on Del Rio, you know, saying we need help. And Biden and, and, and the vice president are now saying, well, I guess maybe we need to do something. Well, no, no crap. I mean, our border's on fire, and they've been ignoring it, and they're doing it all for crass political reasons. 16,513 uh, minors have been here in this, this year uh, through. 1,400 migrant kids will be housed at the San Diego Convention Center alone. They're being transported there as we speak. This whole uh, last seven days, they, they estimate that 6,500 have evaded detection and apprehension, up 42% since that bad year, which was 2019. Most of these people coming across are men. Uh, they say single men. 60% are Mexicans who, who in their country, uh, they can't get the vaccine. The pandemic is running wild, and they think we have it down and we're about to uh, boom, and they want to be part of it. That's if those people just want to work. So this is not hard to get control of that border. But right now, I don't believe they want to. What advantage is it for them to have this chaos in a state like yours? Well, they want this uh, very specifically for political reasons. They they believe it's both to appease their radical left base, but they also think that they're going to get voters out of this. I'm not so sure, by the way. You're alienating a whole lot of Americans, alienating a whole lot of immigrants who came here legally. And frankly, I think a lot of the people coming here illegally, while they think they like Biden right now, when they get through this journey and they see what's happening to the people they love, I think they're going to have a lot of animosity toward this country, as we're already seeing occur in some of our neighbors to the south. And, and the reality here is, Brian, this is purposeful. And guess what? They're going to at some point claim that they've got this fixed when numbers in these facilities in Carrizo Springs and Midland, Texas, and Dallas, Texas, and Houston, San Antonio, when they start reducing these numbers, they're going to say they've got it fixed. But here's the dirty little secret, and you know this because you've been paying attention to the border. They're going to be flipping it to a full catch and release, which they're already doing. Frankly, not even with a court date. They're literally now just releasing people yep. immediately, which endangers us and, by the way, distracts our Border Patrol. I rode around with CBP last Monday night in Laredo. While I was with them, I was interviewing with Breitbart. You may have seen this clip. And literally some illegal immigrants came in behind us during the interview. We paused while Border Patrol apprehended them. There were about 100 apprehensions in the few hours that I was with Border Patrol. But they're telling me, look, hundreds or even thousands are now pouring through between the ports of entry with dangerous fentanyl and so forth. And, you know, I think Democrats know that they've now got a bit of a problem. They came into this both naively, but also purposely to appease their base to have wide open borders. Now they're saying there's a consequence to it and all their crap verbiage about kids in cages under Trump, which was false, which was a lie then and, and would be a lie now. But now they've got a situation where they've got kids they're shoving into convention centers because they're incompetent and they're actually being uh, you know, it's a travesty what they're doing to these immigrants. Right. I want you to hear what the president said yesterday. And this, I hope the American people aren't buying. Cut six. Unfortunately, the last administration eliminated that funding, did not engage in it, did not use it, even though there was over $700 million to help get this done. We're reinstituting that program. And there are, uh, as I said, there are many factors as to why people leave in the first place. But, uh, this is uh, uh, this is the uh, the source 
of uh, one of the reasons why we've had such a, before we took office, in the midst of the last administration's somewhat draconian policies of separating children from their parents, et cetera. He's all over the place. They restored that aid after threatening tariffs, escalating tariffs on Mexico. Mexico reinforced their border. Remain in Mexico policy put in place. They worked with all three of those triangle countries. They restored the aid when they started doing what we demanded they do, and that's control their population. And he is just barely getting the words out, by the way. I can't even understand what he's saying. And, and the second that he's blaming Trump. How is it? Is it that going to fly? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to believe that. I hope and pray the American people see through this. Obviously, you opened this segment talking about the stranglehold that big, te- big technology has on our ability to get our message out. But we're going to keep fighting to do it. Everything he just said. You remember that line from my cousin Vinny when he said everything that guy just said is, you know, BS, except he used the real word. Well, that's that's literally what this is. Right. Everything he just said is a lie. Uh, the president, President Trump, came in with a broken system, came in and worked with Mexico. Yes, he used tariffs as a threat, and it worked. Mexico, even under AMLO and his corrupt administration, had to recognize, I got to work with the United States because we can't handle these tariffs. So return to Mexico, plus Title 42 is how we stop the flow at the border. But now they've gotten rid of return to Mexico. They've gotten rid of Title 42 for kids. So guess what? Lo and behold, Kids are now flocking to the border, not just kids, though, adults posing as kids or adults using kids. There was just a story the other day. New York Times, oh, they finally wake up. Children are being used as pawns, as golden tickets to come into the United States. All of this for crass political purposes for Democrats because they're too cowardly to do their job to secure the border of the United States. The one thing they're supposed to do, and Democrats go after Trump for impeachment twice, who right now is not taking care to see that the laws of the United States are being faithfully executed? His name is Joe Biden. So maybe we ought to take a look at the legitimacy of his presidency, whether he's even there competently to doing it. And certainly, even if he isn't, he's not taking care to execute the laws of the United States. So we need to we need to be keep this elevating this message. The American people are starting to see it, but they don't know. We, we live it every day in Texas. I know. And uh, and I've been out of the border, but not like you. Uh, they're not given the same access they used to. But we got to keep pushing for it. Congressman Chip Roy, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And, hey, my son loves your book, The Alamo Avengers. Thanks for doing that and all that you're doing. And and, uh, we're also introducing legislation to make sure that USCIS has to give information to states to check citizenship. We'll be introducing that next week, and I'll keep you posted. Oh, fantastic. And for a Texan to like the book, it's truly an honor. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy, appreciate it. Uh, When we come back, John Casamitidis joins us, uh, not only talking about what's it like to have your hands in so many businesses with taxes, staring them right in the face with this new administration, also a celebration of a special day. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big employers in Georgia like Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, UPS, all of them facing pressure from... Voting rights groups, uh, Democrats in the state saying, you know, you should be speaking out about this because corporate pressure often can influence a debate. The Georgia Chamber of Commerce says they support accessible and secure voting while upholding election integrity and transparency. It's a pretty neutral statement there. We'll see. Corporations getting pressure to go along with Stacey Abrams and the H.R. 1 
uh, Voting Reform Act. It'll change everything about this country and the way we vote. It's not supposed to be a federal election. It's supposed to be state by state. Does he feel the pressure? Uh, I'm talking about the chairman and CEO of Gracidis Food, the CEO of Red Apple Media, John Castamatidis, uh, proud owner of 77 WABC, who was kind enough to carry this show. John, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a beautiful day today in New York. The sun is shining. And it would have been a great day for a parade. Can't do it this year, right? Can't do it this year. And uh, we usually do it uh, uh, with Fox 5 every uh, uh, every year with Ernie Anastas and Rosanna Scotto. And uh, they do a great job. And it's a beautiful day. Uh, but maybe next year we'll do it. Celebrate diversity. Yeah, celebrating 200 years of uh, since the Greek Revolution, 1821. John, just real quick, as the CEO of so many corporations, do you feel the political pressure, especially in a Democratic-run city, to do things a certain way, condemn or support certain things? Are you feeling that in this climate? Well, you know, you you want to be smart. You don't want to be dumb. Uh, And, uh, you know, people expect me to run for mayor, but uh, uh, don't forget, I have— 7,000 employees, and uh, uh, a lot of people depend on me for a living. So uh, why put my family and uh, my employees in danger? You know, in 51 years, I've never missed a paycheck. I work very hard to make sure every employee gets paid every week, and and, uh, we do well. And uh, politics has become a broken machine right now, where it's about hate is driving the bus instead of uh, who is the best candidate uh, to run a city that, with a $90 billion budget. Exactly. So, John, let's talk about uh, your heritage. As much as you're proud to be American, you're proud to, have, uh, to be a Greek. And when you talk about the birthplace of democracy, you talk about Greece. When you talk about the birthplace of Western civilization, you talk about Greece. What pre- how did that perspective help fuel who you are today? Well, uh, you know, my two grandparents came to America in 1913, but they left my dad over uh, in the old country to take care of his three sisters uh, and his mom. And uh, we didn't, he didn't get here till 1949, uh, and I was six months old. Uh, but my dad taught me uh, about respect for the family, respect for our forefathers. And you know what it's all about? Respecting where you're coming from. I'm an American. I love America. I love New York. But I respect my forefathers. I respect where they came from. And I love them dearly. And when I do go to Greece for a, uh, for, uh, a vacation, you know what happens? And I took my kids with me. I have tears in my eyes when I hear the Greek music. So cell memory must be alive and doing well because it must be in our blood. How about when you look back and see the birthplace of Western civilization, you see the Acropolis and everything, and, the, and these, these stories that you read about, do they come to life? I've got to find my—I know it's an 11-hour flight. I've got to find my way there. Do you think the American people have to rediscover democracy by going back? Well, I, you know, I interviewed uh, Ms. Fleming, the provost of NYU, the other day, and she runs the National Center at uh, NYU, and she loves America, and she loves uh, Greece. And uh, uh, she is in Athens right now, and and her heart, uh, you know, when you are in Greece and see what our ancient forefathers have done, and they did bring you through philosophy and democracy, you have a special place in your heart for it, uh, because what? By the way, what happened was the Greek people uh, had the revolution in 1821. They were inspired 
by the American people's revolution in, 19, in 1776. So the Greek revolution was inspired by the American revolution. And do you also feel as though uh, the story goes, and March 25th is the official day, 200 years today, do you also feel as though Europe rallied around for the Greek cause? They, they saw the merit in their fight? Yes, they saw the merit. And they were, don't forget, they're 400 years prisoners under the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire. And, and for, for them to save their civilization, to save their religion, to save their way of life after being in slavery for 400 years, that was some task to do. Don't you think, John, I'm talking John Casamitidis now, John, don't you think it's hard for people to appreciate what they've had if they've always had it? You know, they've always had the freedom. Brian, I am very much concerned for our country right now. I am very much concerned that we're in about 245 years now, I think. I'm very much concerned about making the 300th year in uh, 2076. And because somebody is out there trying to change our way of life. And I'm concerned about that. Somebody out there is trying to change our kids' mentality. And I'm concerned about that. And every parent should be concerned. And who knows who's doing it? Is it the Chinese? Is it the Russians? Is it the Iranians? But somebody is after our culture. You mean uh, when you have Bill Maher as upset about uh, the culture change as you would say, Tucker Carlson, there's an issue here? Yes, there's an issue here. There's definitely an issue here. You know what I said? I was with Congresswoman Nicole Magatakis this morning. You know what I said to her? Because she's half Greek, half Cuban. I said to her, today we, we uh, celebrate Greek Independence Day. I hope I'm standing next to you someday when we can uh, celebrate Cuban Independence Day. Well, we thought it was going to be just around the corner back in the 60s. It still hasn't happened yet. But hopefully, uh, as the Castros die, uh, hopefully so will communism. John, uh, happy uh, Greek Independence Day. Uh, I know you were one of the most successful to come here, and and you did so well, but you did it through hard work. Uh, And thanks so much for joining us today. Brian, and thank you for being on WABC, and you are are a great guy, and uh, you really do a great job. Thank you. I appreciate it, and it's just an honor to be carried by a station I grew up uh, listening to, uh, John Kasmatidis. Thanks so much. And next year, he will not be available. He'll be in a parade. Uh, in New York City. Hopefully this pandemic will be over. Uh, that story more when we come back. We're going to open up the phones next, one 408 and then find out if there's indeed more to know. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Vice President Kamala Harris is been put in charge of border security. She's about the worst possible choice that one could make. Uh, In no point in her career has she given any indication that she considers the the border a, a problem or a serious threat. If President Biden's intent was to show that he's taking this issue seriously, he's really done the exact opposite here. He's completely trivialized this issue by putting someone in charge who flat out just doesn't care. 
And, and that is Governor Ducey uh, talking about his state of Arizona, uh, that New Mexico, uh, Texas. And, you know, we don't hear much about California, uh, but California, too. Uh, the amount of drugs and people coming through. If you're a kid, you get to stay. Uh, and they say 60 percent of the people uh, are Mexican. Eighty two percent are men. Eighty two percent men. Uh, those are the ones we get, let alone the ones that sneak through. Why does Doug Ducey say that? How about this? For example, Kamala Harris leaving Jacksonville this week. Cut four. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> yeah, not today. Who cares? Next thing you know, she's running things. Joe Biden names her yesterday, says that she'll be in charge. She can handle anything. Really? Cut seven. While we are clear that people should not come to the border now, um, we also understand that we will enforce the law and um, that we also, because we can chew gum and walk at the same time, must address the root causes that, uh, that cause people to make the trek, as the president has described, to come here. I'm not convinced she knows uh, because evidently during her committee time, she barely showed up. And when she did show up, it was for the hearings where the cameras were on where she was showboating. I want you to hear what she was like back on first. The first cut you're going to hear is going to go back to back is July 29, 2019. And she was asked when she was a candidate, what do you think you're going to what happens if people cross the border illegally? And then she's in a hearing. And at that hearing, she's taken on uh, the director Vidiello who's in charge of ICE, who's been compared, compared to the KKK. Listen to this, cut for I would not make it a crime punishable by jail. I, it should be a civil enforcement issue, but not a criminal enforcement issue. Are you aware of the perception of um, many about how the, the, the power and the discretion at ICE is being used to enforce the laws? And do you see any parallels? Are you aware that there's a perception? I see no Are you aware that there's a that perception? That puts ICE in the same category as the KKK. You believe that? She asked that question, and now you're going to inspire ICE? By the way, they've already defanged and disempowered ICE. You're not allowed to detain anyone. There's no beds available. They're taking them away. You're not allowed to throw people out, even if they're criminals. You have to call back to Washington to actually make the arrest. Those are the rules under the administration, which she is a part of. And now, I guess, co-equal, because her name is on all the letterhead. Meanwhile, they're blocking the press. She showed up in Homestead, Florida, to Homestead, Florida, to protest a federal facility that she claimed was full of kids in cages, which it wasn't. But at the same time, her administration, which she's a part of, a co-equal, will not allow a single camera into any facility. Just one, I should say, one in which they sanitized and chose. Others, they provided us footage. Thank, thank goodness for Democratic Congressman Cuellar. We would not know that these kids are in overcrowded conditions in pens. The reason why I say it's not, it is their fault is because they said if you come, you stay. If you have an address in your pocket, you go to that address. What else do you expect? Drug cartels want to make the money. They escort the kids up. Parents want a better life for their kids. They think eventually they're going to send for their parents. So they go ahead and do it. You have to change that policy right now in order to make any progress at all. So Harris, the exact wrong choice. Among the people that are convinced of that is Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton came forward uh, last night when he heard that he was, uh, he was picked. I should say Tom Homan first, cut 25. The most qualified person to fix this issue, how about the, how about the chief of the United States Border Patrol 
who's a great guy, he, he spent his whole career on the border, he could fix this. If you give him the power to change the policies that need to be changed and let him do his job, that's the guy. You know, he, 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 not enough some politician. Yeah. But, you know, one of the first things they say Kamala's going to do is travel to Mexico, travel to Central America, talk to them folks. Why don't you sit down and talk to the command of the Border Patrol? Yeah. Ask them their opinion. They've been through this before. They know how to fix this. Yeah, and he went on to say, I know Kamala Harris. Cut 24. When President Biden says he's most qualified, I mean, seriously? I mean, what, what color is the sky in his world? Because that, you, couldn't get a, you couldn't get a worse pick. Look, she supports sanctuary cities. She wrote legislation to reward those who illegal entered the United States. She vilified the men and women of the Border Patrol during last year, saying they're mistreating immigrants. She, she's, she's an open borders advocate. She wants to abolish ICE. She compared immigration officers to the KKK during a Senate hearing. And you want to put her in charge of immigration enforcement on the border? I couldn't think of a worse choice. And I, I can't really argue against that. I, I cannot argue against that. The other thing I want to talk about, what's coming up shortly this afternoon, and was brought up by John Robertson earlier, if you want a press conference that you're proud of, that you really want to defend your administration, you don't do it at one one fifteen Eastern time in the afternoon. He's going to do it then. He gave a week notice. A lot of people think that's a huge problem, including Dana Perino, who used to do this. You don't know what the news cycle is going to be. And this is the problem. If you do it a week ahead of time, you think you're going to talk about the $1.9 trillion. Since that time, there's been two horrific shootings. Now you're going to talk about gun control. All right? Maybe you want to. I'm not sure. Now you're going to talk about infrastructure bill between 3 and $5 trillion. Now it leaked out that on March 2nd you met with historians, and you want to make a bigger, bigger impact than FDR and LBJ on what they did with their legislation as Democrats and how to do it. And then it comes out that Mitch McConnell says, I haven't talked to you in three months. And Lindsey Graham says, I haven't talked to him since he became president. Those are the two leading Republican Senators, now you got a story of what do you mean you want to walk across, work across party lines? What do you mean you're trying to get things done using both parties when you have not even contacted the most powerful Republican on the Hill? And then this story pops up. How bad a guy is Hunter Biden? I mean, Bo Biden was, was as, great as, it go, as great as it gets by almost anyone that met him. The guy was probably going to be governor and might have been running for president. Who knows? But Hunter Biden is a mess. Every time you hear you hear the stories about he left his wife to go with Bo's widow, then he leaves them, then he was with a hooker and he gets her pregnant, then he's suing, they're suing for child support, it's his kid, who knows, losing a job, signs up for the military, fails a drug test before he could actually get in, ends up AWOL for a while, a lawyer cutting all types of international deals, he's way out of his depth, embarrassing his family, trading on his dad's name, and then this story emerges today. Good luck. I hope somebody has the courage to ask it in a way to get an answer. Hunter Biden and his daughter-in-law, Hallie, were involved in a bizarre incident in 2018 in which Hallie took Hunter's gun and threw it in the trash can behind a grocery store, only to return later and find the gun is gone. Delaware police began investigating, concerned that the trash can was across from a high school and the missing gun could be used in a crime. Now it gets bad, if that wasn't bad enough. A curious thing happened. The Secret Service approached the owner of the store where Hunter bought the gun and asked them to take out the paperwork involved in the sale. According to two people, one of whom was firsthand knowledge of the episode, and the other, this is Politico, by the way, was briefed by the Secret Service again after the fact. The gun store owner refused to supply the paperwork to the Secret Service, suspecting that the Secret Service officers wanted to hide Hunter's ownership of the missing gun in case it was involved in the crime. 
the two people claim this happened. The owner, Ron Palmari, later turned over the papers to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, which oversees federal gun laws. The Secret Service says there's no record of its agents investigating the incident. Joe Biden was not under protection at the time. And although the spokesperson has no knowledge of any Secret Service involvement, days later the gun was returned by, the older man, uh, by an older man who regularly rummages through the garbage to collect recyclables. The incident did not result in charges or arrest. What is going on? The computer store guy gets his business ruined because he happened to have a laptop of Hunter's. He probably blacked out and forgot he left it there with all types of incriminating evidence, including reportedly pictures that have been described to me as something so vile. I will not describe them to you. And since I haven't seen them, I'm not going to say it. But the ones we saw of him smoking crack in the bathtub are better than the ones that I heard that are on there. He's never been asked about it, the president of the United States. And then the international funds where he's trading the Biden name that the big guy might in fact be Joe Biden, a story that was never allowed to be replayed on social media because Twitter mysteriously, along with Facebook and Google, decided it is not worthy and not true. Even though it's written in the New York Post, has been verified since then. They apologize for that after the election. No one's ever asked who Tony Bobulinski is, and I just tweeted this out. Tony Bobulinski is the guy that was brought in by the Biden family to engineer the internet, these international deals. Already independently wealthy, a Penn State wrestler with a ton of uh, uh, street cred, knowledge, and integrity, who served in the military as an officer, was brought in, met with Joe Biden about this. They were dealing with China, the Ukraine, uh, and many other countries, and now they're totally in denial that he did this. The media ignored the story that the president of the United States could indeed be compromised in a way he doesn't want to admit. Alex, you're listening in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Brian. And I wanted to say I, I want the press at this press conference to ask Joe Biden questions into the future, like the fact that we're not going to be energy independent in, in a couple of months, because after this press conference, I don't think they're going to have a chance to ask him any questions for a really long time. I agree. You know, that's you're not kidding. Uh, President Trump said that. And I looked into it. It's true because we're downgrading on, on drilling on 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 uh, federal lands because the oil industry took such a hit uh, before big one in the pandemic and no one was burning any oil or gas. Uh, we got some problems with that. And then, of course, you get rid of the pipeline. We got some problems. And he just wants to go AOC green. And this is going right. to destroy the country. And other countries are going to produce the gasoline for us. So this is not going to save the environment in any way. Jeopardize our security. Make our gasoline prices go up also. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Other questions that we, we saw uh, that are out there. Do you stand by your comments that the Chinese President Xi uh, is a thug and Russian President Vladimir Putin is a killer? That's not a hard question. This is from the, uh, the, Daily, uh, the Daily Beast. Uh, you committed this week to elevate more Asian, Afri- Asian American Pacific Islanders to high-level positions. Why did it take this tragic shooting in Atlanta and an ultimatum by two Asian lawmakers to, to yield such a commitment? Would I want to get back to a time in which just the best person got the job? I know there was a time in which we needed equal opportunity and affirmative action. I thought we were getting away from that. Now, all of a sudden, we got to get people into categories rather than the best person to fit the position. And now someone's going to be an advisor from Asia Pacific Islands. My goodness. They go, well, we thought we had Kamala Harris. That would have covered it. That was the administration's response. The response should be, can we just get the best person? 
When we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. Just a quick reminder: I'm on at seven o'clock tonight. I'm not being. I'm not uh, off Fox and Friends. I'm off Fox and Friends for a reason. It's to host in, in the evening. Hope you watch. We'll have more of this as well as a review of the presser today, as well as a review of the big tech, uh, the big tech scrutiny on the on the ho- in front of the House subcommittee. Don't miss Brian Kilmeade show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I do him at the town hall when he's like the gentle father to the country, and he looks like the alien who came off the spaceship in Close Encounters. Yes. Folks, come on, folks. Let's get real. I'm not kidding around here. You know, you know we got to do the thing. We did Brock. We did the deal, you know. And, uh... You know, my dad, my dad, you know, lost his job in Scranton. No joke. No joke. I'm not being a wise guy here. I said, Pops, why'd you lose? He said, Joe, I did. My mom said, that's the cookie. But she, the crumble, she says, we'll do it. <laughs> that is so good. A little bit haphazard. Same stories over and over again. Dana Carvey making a comeback. He's got Fauci and Biden down. And they say that Joe Biden, how do you make fun of him? Do you believe that? Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So they're talking HR1 yesterday and Ted Cruz is incensed. It's going to change nationalized elections, change the way we vote, uh, not have significant verification uh, for the most part. Have uh, Ballot harvesting will be endemic into the whole thing. It'll be terrible, right? So Ted Cruz is incensed. And he walks to the microphone and listen to what he, the request he gets from a reporter. Uh, yeah, when I'm talking to the TV camera, I'm not going to wear a mask. And all of us have been immunized. So uh, you, you're welcome to step away if you like. The whole, the whole point of a vaccine, CDC guidance is what we're following. That is so I'm so glad he did that because you don't have to be close. You put your microphone up there, you walk back. He's obviously wants to be heard, not muffled like everybody else. And you don't have to stand around him. You could stand back from him. You could go to the podium. I have no idea why Joe Biden talks with a mask on. I think you should take it off and be smart about it, especially if you had the vaccine. Let's find out if there's even more to know. Next, California Governor Newsom faces a recall. And guess who wants to step in there? Another crazy left winger, Tom Steyer, mulling a comeback. Nobody liked him the first time. The only thing people like is his money. He couldn't even get Bernie Sanders to shake his hand. Meanwhile, Governor Newsom right now looks like his numbers say he stays. Next. General Mills CEO uh, says it's highly unlikely that any shrimp tails went into Cinnamon Toast Crunch at its facility. If you've seen these pictures, it is really tough to see. It is amazing the the amount of news coverage this story has generated. And I I must admit that some of it is is kind of humorous. But, you know, what I want you to know and your viewers to know is that we take food safety very seriously at General Mills. And based on the information we have right now, it is highly unlikely that this occurred at a General Mills facility. It looks like it, though. They're taking it seriously. Any shrimp tails or even crustacean contamination uh, came from its fac- uh, facility. That's according to the CEO, as you know. But it doesn't explain it, does it? No. I mean, you, you saw the photos of it? Yeah. It is yeah, rather uh, disgusting looking. I 14,000 retweets, 144,000 likes. Next. Bernie Sanders says he is not comfortable with Donald Trump, follow me, being banned from Twitter. This, as we had right now, as we speak, the tech CEOs are meeting on Capitol Hill. Excuse me, do I feel particularly comfortable that the president, the then president of the United States, could not express his views on Twitter? I don't feel comfortable about that. 
Good. He says it could be him next. I give Bernie Sanders credit, don't you? Yeah, I mean, he's saying, you know, he's not, he's not a fan of the language that he's used, but he said, you know, it's this is the former president of the United States that can't express his views. Next, city of Oakland mayor is branded a racist. Forget this. Giving families of color $500 a month if they earn under $59,000 with no rules on how they can spend it, but offering low-income white families nothing. The lottery system, funded by private philanthropists, will see the no-strings-attached checks go to those households. According to data from Oakland, equity indicators report uh, by officials to justify the favoring of colored people, uh, people of color, as opposed to white households, says the same report around 8% of the city's white residents, approximately 10,000 people, live in poverty. Why shouldn't they have money? Is that racist? Yeah, I mean, their their reasoning is is what they say is that because people of color are three uh, they, people? White people make three times more than black households. So that's their reasoning why they only want to give it to black households or minority households. Next, Jay Leno apologizing. He says it's not cancel culture for anti-Asian jokes over his career. The former late-night host expresses remorse during a Zoom call with Guy Aoki, the leader of the Media Action Network for Asian Americans. Quote, at the time I did those jokes, I generally thought them to be harmless. I was making fun of our enemy, North Korea. And like most jokes, there was a ring of truth to them. At the time, there was a prevailing attitude that says some group is always complaining about something, so don't worry about it. Whenever we receive that complaint, we need to deal with this uh, or screw them if they can't take a joke attitude. I am issuing an apology. I do not consider this a case of cancel culture. I don't know exactly what he said. Sounds sincere, though. See you tonight at 7. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.